Today we are actually finishing up a series that we've been in for a while called We Are. And it's a series where we've been talking about some things that we believe must define us as followers of Jesus in this world together. We gather here as a community, as a church, and we say, how do we want people to see us? What do we want our lives to look like as we walk with Jesus in light of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit in this world? And we've come up with seven things, seven distinctives. And just by way of review, um, so far we have talked about being and becoming people who love extravagantly. We love people when they least expect it and least deserve it. People who hope relentlessly. We cling to the unmovable promises we have in Jesus. People who relate authentically because we know God uses transparency for transformation. People who engage inclusively because we grow and we reflect God's heart when we embrace people different than ourselves. We want to be people who trust radically because we follow God into the uncomfortable. We follow God even when it's not easy or convenient. And then last week we talked about being people who pray constantly, that we will seek constant conscious communion with our Heavenly Father. And today we're looking at our seventh and final distinctive, being and becoming people who worship fully. Worship fully. So if you have a Bible with you, grab it, pull it out, turn to Matthew chapter 13. If you did not bring one today, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. We're going to be again in Matthew chapter 13 in the pew Bibles. That's page 794. Um, And as you turn, let me just say this. In this section of scripture, Jesus, and in this passage in particular, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes when we hear that language, the kingdom of heaven, we're tempted to think that Jesus is talking about what happens after we die, or he's talking about, like, here's how you get to heaven. But actually, most of the time, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in the Gospels, he's talking about something that he has come to offer to you and me and to the entire world now, right here where we live. Jesus' message is actually this. In me, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Just like God rules and reigns in heaven, in heaven, everything is the way God wants it to be. All relationships are restored and reconciled and just the way God longs for them to be. And, God, and, and Jesus says, in me, through my death and resurrection, that kingdom is come to earth and you can be a part of it. It's available to you. You can live now in right relationship with God because of Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross and how he's defeated death. That's the message of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus today will say the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's come close. And I want to tell you what it looks like to live in that kingdom. What it looks like to live into a right relationship with God. And even though Jesus doesn't use the specific word, what he describes for us in these verses is nothing less than a picture of what it looks like to worship fully. You want to see, you want to understand what it means, what it looks like, what it takes to worship fully right here, right now, as followers of Jesus in this world? Let me tell you a story. Here's what he has to say. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, 
When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Friends, today I have great news for you. Not only has Jesus died, defeated death, risen from the grave, not only does he now invite you into a relationship with God, but also there's more. My sermon today only has two points. Oh, I thought that was going to be more good news for you. Okay, you guys are bummed. Do you want it to be four or five? I can extend it. Here we go. Um, here's the two points today. Two questions. We're only talking about two things. What must we recognize to worship fully? And how must we respond to worship fully? If we want to be people who live into this, this like fully worshiping life, what must we recognize and how must we respond? Here we go. First of all, what must we recognize? Well, in both of these stories, you'll notice as you read them, they're short, but the people, the man and the merchant, are just kind of cruising along through life. They're just doing their thing, just doing their life, and then all of a sudden, something happens. Something changes them. They discover something, and it causes them to stop and to pause and to shift directions. This thing that they discover, it reorients their lives. Their priorities, their schedule, their finances. Something changes everything. And here's what it is. It's they find treasure. That's what the scriptures say. The first man, he finds treasure. He finds buried treasure. This is like a pirate story. The second guy, he recognizes that he has encountered something, it says, of great what? Value. He's found something of great value. And what Jesus is saying as he tells us this story is that at the very center of life in the kingdom, at the very center of life with God as king of your life, at the very beginning of real and true and full worship is this recognition that God is more immensely valuable than anything we have, can, or will ever encounter in this world. I'll say that again. God is more immensely valuable than anything we have, can, or will ever encounter in this world. And I'm pausing here because sometimes I think we jump too quickly over this part of the stories. And when we do, we miss what I believe is the very central thing that Jesus is trying to communicate. Sometimes the second of these stories is described by a phrase in church circles. There's a phrase that's used to describe this, this story. Finish this for me if you know it. The pearl of great, the pearl of great price. Friends, I think that's a terrible subtitle for this, for this little story. I don't, I don't think it's good. I think it's misleading. It's not a good synopsis. I think this story should be called the pearl of great worth. The pearl of great value because in these stories what Jesus is trying to drive home is the great value, the great worth of the kingdom of God. Let me illustrate the difference for you um, this way. Guys, some of you will think back on this moment. Some of you might think ahead on this possible moment, but you've been dating a girl for a while. 
And she is the girl. You've fallen in love. She's everything you ever wanted. She's the one you want to spend the rest of your life with. And so you go out, you drop a chunk of money on a ring. Thousands, not hundreds, guys. And then, and then what do you do? Then you, you're waiting for this moment and you're thinking of the perfect place that beach or that scenic overlook or that place where the two of you have shared some special moments. Maybe it's a nice restaurant. If you're a millennial, you'll probably arrange for a photographer to be there. I'll have more on that later. <laughs> and then, and then at the perfect moment, at just the right instance, you'll get down on one knee if you're a real man and you'll crack open that ring case and you'll say, honey, do you know how much this ring cost me? <laughs> do you know how much overtime I had to work? Do you know how much savings I Do you know how much debt I had to take on in order to get this ring for you? Now, is that, is that what you'll say? I hope it's not what you'll say. You may not get the desired response. Um, but here's the point. You don't talk about the price of the ring because the price of the ring is not what matters. The price of the ring is not the focus. The focus is not the price of the ring. It's the value of the woman. The value of the woman is what takes center stage. And friends, that's what Jesus is driving at here. He's saying it's not, it's not the price you have to pay. It's the value of the kingdom. In order to fully enter into worship, just like the man, just like the merchant, we must understand and never forget the value of the God we've discovered. Because when we understand the value of our God, everything else falls in line. One of the questions these stories is begging you to ask is simply this. How valuable is God to you, really? Do you recognize and remember how much he is really worth to you? Is he, in fact, worth more than any and everything else? You know, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that they give us just tremendous insight into human nature. If you want to dive deep into discovering who you are, dive deep into this book. Because this book will pull back the layers of your heart and soul and mind. This book will help you understand yourself. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says every single one of us has something of ultimate value and worth in our lives. You see, sometimes we think this is a book about worshiping God, how to worship God. And this is a book that actually reveals everyone's worshiping something. Is the something you're worshiping worthy of your worship? That's a good question. That's the question of the scriptures. Every single one of us worships something. This is why, friends, by the way, the very first commandment of the Big Ten, the very first commandment is this, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you see how honest the Bible is? So honest, so revealing. Right out of the gate, the Bible is saying, there are going to be things in this world that will tempt you to value them more than you value God. Those things are there. Those things are just a reality. Those things will emerge. And so one of the things we must be aware of is this. If we really want to recognize and increase the value of God in our lives, we must be aware of what those things are for us. 
What are those things that I might be tempted to ultimately value and worship instead of God? Tim Keller says, if you're wondering, what could those things be for me? Here's a couple of test questions. Two test questions to ask yourself to just sort of probe the depths of your heart to to see what might challenge God in my life. What might a little g God be for me? Here's the first question. What do you worry about? A little more specifically, what, if threatened in your life, would cause you the most stress? What if it was threatened? What if it might go away would keep you up at night? Because, friends, what we worry about, we deeply care about. What we tend to worry about are things that maybe we value a little more than we care to admit. Here's the second text, uh, test question. It's, it's my favorite one. When there's a conflict between competing demands, that's an important phrase, When there's a conflict between competing demands, where do you most effortlessly and certainly put your time, energy, and or money? In other other words, when, when resources are scarce, when your calendar isn't wide open, you don't have all the time in the world, but when your calendar is packed full and you only have a teeny tiny bit of free time, where do you spend that free time? When you only have a little bit of energy, when, when your, your tanks are drained, where, do you spend, where will you spend that energy and where won't you spend that energy? See, these things will help you determine, help you discern, what do I really value? What is really worth a lot in my life? When funds aren't plentiful, when the bank account isn't uh, overflowing, where will you always, no matter what, spend your money? Where will your money go even when there's not a lot of money? See, these are questions that will help you probe deep into your soul. What do I really value? In light of what I might say, or in light of what I might sort of try and convince myself, here's what I truly value when it comes down to it. This is why Jesus tells the wonderful story in Matthew 12 of the poor old widow who comes into the synagogue with just a few small copper coins. He says there's all these rich people just dumping chunks of money into the synagogue coffers. And this, rich, this little poor old widow comes in. She drops two little coins, hardly anything, just a couple of cents. And he says, this woman gave more than all the rest. Why? Because when push came to shove, her giving showed that she valued God above other things. You see, this is the picture of worshiping fully. Again, here's the question. Do not miss the question. What competes with God for ultimate value in your life? What's worth a lot to you? Maybe for you it's success. Maybe you just want to be successful at whatever it is you do. Maybe that's a vocation. Maybe that's just a role you play. Maybe it's looks or beauty, or your fitness, maybe that is a place where you find identity and security. Maybe it's money. Maybe what really makes you feel safe, if you're really honest, is that there's a big chunk of money in the bank. And so no matter what happens, you can always fall back on that. Perhaps it's a relationship that you value, a person whose affections or attention or approval is immensely valuable to you. Maybe it's your house or your car or some of your stuff. Maybe it's an activity or a hobby that you love. Anytime you have free time, that's where you go. Why? Because you value that. You value the enjoyment, the satisfaction. You get out of that hobby above all else. 
Maybe it's your reputation or your, or your status or your popularity. Maybe it's your family. You see, it's not always bad stuff that competes with God. Most of the time, it's the good stuff in our lives that tries to supplant God as God in our lives. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's the image of your family. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's the image of your kids. Maybe it's the success you feel when your kids are successful. Maybe it's comfort or pleasure. What is it that you value so much that it competes with God? Because friends, as a church, we are saying we long to be people who worship fully. And our statement that goes with this distinctive reads like this. Here's how it begins. We believe Jesus is worthy. We believe Jesus is worthy of all our worship. We believe Jesus is the pinnacle of worth and value in our lives. We believe, this is what we're here to sort of state and declare, there is nothing more valuable in this world than Jesus. Nothing else deserves to sit on the throne of our lives besides him. Nothing is worth more than Jesus. Friends, this is the great cry of the entire Bible. The Bible says this will be the great cry for all eternity. This is from the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Listen to this. This is what it says. You, and this is talking about Jesus, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then just listen to this. This is just imagery, friends, for when human history will be consummated at the end of time, And the writer of Revelation is talking about this this end of time moment that will go on for all eternity. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that are there in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice there's a word that is used in there quite often. It's a word we actually sing about all the time. And and I'm afraid I don't think we really understand what it means. It's the word glory. That we would give him glory. We give glory to you, God. We want you to have glory in this place. We want you to have glory in our church. We want you to have glory in our lives. Do you know what the word glory means? In In the Bible, the word glory simply means weight. We want Jesus to have weight. We want him to have weight, like a person that carries a lot of weight. We might say it that way, right? Or a statement that carries a lot of weight or a truth that carries a lot of weight. And the idea here is when we say, Jesus, we want you to have glory. In other words, we were saying we want to give more weight to Jesus than anything else in our lives. He packs more of a punch than anything. He's the the weightiest thing of all. What must we recognize to worship fully? The ultimate worth of our God. We believe Jesus is worthy. We believe Jesus is worthy of all of our worship. And so, with that, how must we respond to worship fully? How must, we, how must we respond to this truth that Jesus is worthy? Well, in these two stories that Jesus tells, we'll notice that in response to this great 
value, this thing of great value, the great value of the kingdom, both the man and the merchant were told do something. They sell everything. They give up everything. They sell all they have. They give it all. Jesus makes a really strong point of this. And here's what he's saying. Some things in life are so valuable that they deserve some of our allegiance, some value in our lives, some worth, some of our energy, some of our time, some of our allegiance. But God and his kingdom are so valuable that they deserve all of our allegiance, everything. We believe Jesus is worthy of all our worship, so we worship him with all we are, every bit of us. Think of it this way. Because all sounds like a lot. Like, that, that sounds like a pretty big ask. When God comes and says, I'm so valuable that I want all of you. And you're like, all of me? It's like, all of you. 90%? No. 100%. Think of it this way. If, if somebody comes to you and says, hey, would you like to buy a pack of gum? You say, how much? They say, 10 bucks. You say, okay, that's not a trick question. If any of you are willing to buy packs of gum for 10 bucks, see me after. I've got a side business. Yeah, okay. Someone comes to you and says, would you like to buy a pack of gum? You say, how much? They say 10 bucks. You say, no, no way. You're ridiculous. You're crazy. Why? Because in light of the value of a pack of gum, $10 is way too much money to give. But if that same person came to you and said, do you want to buy a BMW? And you said, how much? And they said, 10 bucks. Then you'd say, yes. yes. If any of you wants to sell me a BMW after the service for 10 bucks, I'd be willing to see you. Here's the point. What you are asked to give will seem really, like a, a really a lot or not that much, depending on the value of what you are giving it for. So this request for you to give all of your life only seems like a lot if you don't understand the immense and ultimate value of what you are giving all your life for. What you're asked to give will seem really like a lot or not that much, depending on the value of what you are giving it for. Do you know how valuable your God is? This is why Paul says to the early church, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, I beseech you, that's the King James Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, give every moment of your life, give all of your life to God in response to his great value. Eugene Peterson's translation of this passage in the message reads this way. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And what Jesus is telling us in our stories today is that this may seem like a lot to ask, but if you actually understand the value of what you've been given, the value of the kingdom, the value of the king, it's like paying $10 for a brand new BMW. Friends, the scriptures call us to worship fully, to worship God with all we are. 
And I want to talk for a minute about what that practically looks like in relationship. Because when you think about, like, how do I worship God with my whole life? Some of you are thinking, like, I don't even know how to do that. I mean, I can't walk around my office singing all day. I'll get fired. Because that's not what God is after. We'll talk about singing in a little bit. But God wants more than your singing. Let me give you an illustration to sort of help you understand what it looks like to let the ultimate value of God reign and rule your life. The person of ultimate value, humanly speaking, in my life is my wife. There should be no doubt about this. In fact, I've got some work to do since so many of you did not know the answer. The person of ultimate value, humanly speaking, even she didn't even say it. I'm really hurt by the the talk. The person of ultimate value, humanly speaking, in my life is my wife. She is worth more to me than any other person. And because of this, there are times when I talk about her and I praise her. Just this week, I was in several conversations where I was talking about just the wonderful gifts and talents and blessing that Amy is in my life and in the lives of others, right? I love to talk about that. Why? Because she is the highest valued person in my life. But if I just constantly, all the time, was just singing her praises and gushing about my wife, if I just did that 24-7, that would be annoying, No one wants to hang out with a person like this. If you're one of those people that talks about their kids all the time, it is annoying, right? Like, enough is enough. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Preach it. Preach it, Pastor Dave, some of you are thinking. So I don't do that. I don't talk about my wife and how great she is all the time. But, 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 listen. Amy is of such high value to me that she influences many of my decisions even when I'm not talking about her, even sometimes when I'm not even thinking about her. When I'm spending money, right? I, she's there even when she's not there, and I'm thinking, I'm considering her thoughts about our budget because we make those kind of decisions together. When I'm buying clothes, especially, I'm influenced by what she will want me to wear and what she won't, what she'll like and what she won't. When I'm having conversations with people, even when she's not in the room, I will often edit my remarks based on what she'll be comfortable with me saying. When I'm choosing sermon illustrations, I sometimes disregard her feelings and share things that she doesn't want shared. No. When I'm making plans, right? I don't just do that alone. I just don't come home and go, here are my plans. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing all weekend. No. I think about her, what she wants to do. If she wants to spend time with me, if she wants to spend time apart, the kind of energy she has, who she'd like to be with, and who she wants around. You see, even though she's not always with me, even though I'm not always speaking about her, she influences a lot of my life. Because Amy is of such high value to me, our, our relationship influence, her relationship influences much of me. And here's what Paul is saying. Because God is of ultimate value to me, worship should be allowing him to influence every part of me. You see, Amy influences a lot of my life, but not all my life, because she's not ultimate to me. She's important. She's really important, but she's not ultimate. God is ultimate. He's the one who influences all of my life, even when I'm not talking about how wonderful he is. 
And what Paul is saying is that because God is of ultimate value to you, worship is allowing him to influence every part of you. We believe Jesus is worthy of all our worship, so we worship him with all we are. In other words, everything you do, say, think, feel, you do in light of this reality. I am in relationship with the God of the universe. And so I think and talk and act and make decisions in light of the fact that he is my highest value. There's this little phrase that Jesus uses in the first story, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, a tr- is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You see, What he's talking about here is when you really understand the value of the kingdom, what's your attitude towards giving your entire life? Are you bummed? Are you obligated? Is it like, oh, this is a lot of sacrifice. It's costing me a ton. I'm not sure I really wanted to spend this much on the kingdom. Is the kingdom going on sale anytime soon? No, There's, there's, there's glee and there's exuberance and there's joy because that thing is worth so much. And because these men understand the value of the kingdom, they joyfully give everything. They don't think, well, I'd have to give up this. I really like having this as ultimate in my life. I'd hate to like, let God be ultimate because he may not have the same plans as I have. We don't cling to other things in, in light of having God rule and run our lives. No, we, we joyfully jump in. Let me give you another illustration. My son Dax, when he was little, he had this blanket. It was this really soft baby blue blanket that was about three feet by three feet. Right, hon? Yeah, it started off that way anyway. And, and Dax carried it everywhere. He loved that blanket. He especially wanted it when he was tired or snuggly or, or sleepy. And he also, he also did not like it. And I mean did not like it when that blanket was washed, which is how it got its name. Stinky. <laughs> stinky the blanket. And Dax loved Stinky. He highly valued Stinky. In Stinky, Dax saw a ton of worth. Now, if you would have asked Dax when he was three, Dax, I'd like to trade you. I'll make a trade with you. You give me Stinky, and I'll give you a brand new, beautiful $800,000 home. Dax would have said, no way. I'm keeping Stinky, Right? Dax, at that age, you'd have found more value in a $4 blanket than an $800,000 house. And now you're thinking, well, of course, of course, he was three. He was a child. He didn't get it. He did not fully understand what he was dealing with. And friends, let me say this to you. What do you think we look like to God when we hold on to the small temporal things of this world and place higher value in them than in the eternal majesty of our heavenly king? Don't you see all these things that we hold on to, that we value, that we put worth in and find worth in that seem so dear? They, they seem like big things to you and me. They seem really important. We are afraid to let go of them. They're, but they're just like little stinky blankets compared to what God offers us in Jesus. And friends, what the scriptures tell us is that we need help. We need help remembering that God is bigger and more powerful and more valuable than the things of this world. We need help keeping God, God, 
in our lives. We need help remembering that he is of ultimate value and ultimate worth in our lives. Because guess what? We drift. And that's why the Bible says things like this from Psalm 34. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. All throughout the scriptures, friends, there is this call for the people of God to gather for times of corporate worship. And the idea is this, when we gather to sing and declare and remember that God is bigger and stronger and more worthy and valuable than anything this world will ever throw our way or offer us, our worship in here, this corporate gathered time of worship, fuels our lives of worship out there. Friends, we're in this era in our culture where people have this sort of flippant, ho-hum, I'll make it when I can attitude about coming to church. And I know you're thinking, you have to say this, you're the pastor, but let me tell you what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, do not forsake gathering together. You do not understand the power, the spiritual power of gathering as the bride of Christ and declaring the praises of your God. Do not miss that. You need that. The worship of God we do together in here will fuel and empower your life of worship out there. This gathering should be of the highest priority in your life. Our worship in here fuels our lives of worship out there. And because this worship in here fuels and all we are life for God out there, the Bible describes our gathered times of worship, our corporate worship together. And it says things like this. When you gather together to sing praises and to worship God, it says, when you gather together, sing, dance, kneel, clap, bow, shout, lift your hands. Have you heard this language in the scriptures? Have you read the Psalms? Now, I do not think this means that every time we gather, we must do all those literal things. Like there's a checklist. Did we dance? Did we clap? Did we kneel? Did we bow? Did we shout? Did we lift our hands? No, I don't think this is the case. I don't think the scriptures are trying to be be rigid or legalistic with us. In fact, one of the things that's like a pet peeve of mine is, you've, you've all maybe experienced this before, is when a worship pastor is like leading worship and people are singing, and then all of a sudden, one of the songs has a line in it about dancing. And it always makes me nervous, because, I've, because I'm just, I can just read the worship pastor's mind, and they're thinking, this would be cool. And they say something like, hey, we're singing about it. Now let's all do it. Let's all dance. Go ahead, everyone dance. And then there's this super awkward moment in the church where everyone's like, um, I don't really know. I feel weird. And then you're like, oh, I guess I'll do this dance thing. And there's always that one guy in front of you who's like really going for it and he's never danced in his life. And everything gets really weird and really awkward. And all the focus of worship goes from God to me because now I feel so uncomfortable. All I can think about is myself, you know? So this is not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about you having to act weird in church to the point that you can't even focus on Jesus. But what I am saying is what I think the scriptures are after here. And here's what I believe the scriptures are after when they talk about our corporate gathered time of singing and praising God together. I think the scriptures say, when you gather, sing like God is of ultimate value in here as fuel to help you live like he is of ultimate value out there. I'm going to say that again. 
When you gather, sing like God is of ultimate value in here as fuel to help you live like he is of ultimate value out there. The scriptures say, when you come to sing the praises of God, the one who is of ultimate value, sing like you're singing to the one of ultimate value in your life. Don't just come in, stand in the back, put your hands in your pockets, and mouth the words, or not even. Because you know what that communicates? I do not understand at all the value of the one we are singing to. See, I understand. You don't always like every song we sing. Let me tell you a little secret. I don't always like every song we sing. I don't go through with James every week and pick them all out. I like that one. No, cut that one. No, it's not how it goes. Friends, it's not about the song. It's about the one we're singing to. And he is of ultimate value in the universe and in this church. And I pray in your life. So come in. Gather as the church and sing as if you are singing to him. Because guess what? We are singing to him. And just one more thing, because I'm, you know, this wasn't in my notes, but I'm just going to add it. Because who knows? What do you think, Lois? Should we do it? When you are going to an appointment or an engagement or an event... And it's something that's really important to you. It's something that is worth a lot to you. It's something that's really valuable. Maybe it's like a birthday party of someone you love and adore. Or maybe even of someone who's really special and important. Someone of high stature. Maybe it's a concert or an event that you've been excited to go to for a long time. When you're going to an event like that, an event that's really valuable, do you get there early or do you get there late? You get there early. Why? Because it really matters. Now, again, I'm not trying to shame anybody here today for being late to church. I'm sometimes late to church. It's not about shame and guilt. It's just a chance to pause and stop and think about how important our God is and then how important this gathering is. How important this church family is. How important it is for the people of God and sing to gather and sing praises to God. Does that matter? Is it of value? Is it important? Think about it, because if it is, then let's act. Let's choose together to act like it is, to come like it is, to engage and sing and praise like it is. Friends, this is who we long to be as a church, people who worship God fully in here so that we can worship God fully out. And friends, the reason we worship our God so fully is because he is valuable. And he is so valuable to us because he gave his life for us. He should be valuable to you because he made a way for you to be reconciled to the God of the universe. For you to have relationship and life now and forever with the God of the universe. Eternal life, the rich, full, abundant, peace and joy-filled life has been offered to you in Christ. That's why he's worthy of all you have. And every Sunday we gather to sing about that, to preach about that, and to take this meal together that declares that, this meal that says he loved us so much that he gave his body and he shed his blood that we might have life everlasting with our Heavenly Father. So this morning as we prepare again together to come to this table, this very special meal, and make this declaration and remember who our God is and how much he loves us, I want you to stop and I want you to just ask yourself and just spend some time with the Lord and say, Lord, 
How valuable are you to me these days? What's competing with you in my life these days? Is there anything you want me to do in order to increase my expression of how valuable you are? And then, after you spend some time with God and you're ready, the worship team will come up, the tables will be open, you can come forward and take the bread and the coffee, you can go back to your seat, and you can make that declaration. We'll make it right here together in this room. Our God is worthy. He is worthy above all else. Amen. Father, this morning we give you praise and we say you are worthy. You are valuable. Sometimes we confess that we do not act like it. We confess that we put other things ahead of you. That we forget about your majesty and your glory, your weightiness. But we invite you, Holy Spirit, to... Move us towards you. We thank you that you are a God that loves us and forgives us even when we don't value you the way we should. You just continue to love us and to value us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son. We thank you for life that we have in him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.